Well, good evening. Uh, welcome, welcome to Live at Five. If this is your first time joining, my name's Paul. I'm one of the leaders at Kingfisher Church. Live at Five, we take about 30 minutes. Uh, we take a passage of the Bible, we look at it together. Uh, last week, Rich concluded our series in Proverbs. Uh, this week, we're returning back to Psalms. Uh, but before we uh, look at our passage, uh, let me begin by um, sharing something with you. So um, it was a Wednesday morning, uh, several weeks back. Uh, and on Wednesday mornings, normally I join the prayer meeting, seven o'clock uh, in the morning at a Zoom prayer meeting. Uh, whilst Tanya and she gets the children ready uh, for school, gives them their breakfast. This particular Wednesday, uh, Tanya had a school trip and it's probably about um, 10 to 7 that she says to me, you know, actually, Paul, could you get the children ready today? Because there's a few things that I need to prep and, and get ready for the school trip. I'm like, that, that's fine. Uh, so I message Rich. I say, I'm not going to be there this morning. Don't bother waiting up for me. And then this thought seems to pop into my head of, hey, you know what? That's kind of nice. I've got a legitimate excuse uh, to not go to the prayer meeting this week. Where did that come from? I mean, is, is that something that you relate to? Have you ever had that experience? You know that something is good to do. You know that it's, it's God honoring. But actually, the thought of having a legitimate excuse to not do it is kind of a nice thing. And maybe it's not attending a prayer meeting. It could be anything. Perhaps it's a complete inverse. Now, I'm glad I don't need to deal with this difficult situation at home because I've got a prayer meeting that I need to attend. See, are there instances, are there areas in your life here? What, what comes to mind where you would rather have a legitimate excuse than to be deeply transformed? Do you know that experience? And sometimes excuses seem easier. Perhaps they seem more plausible than deep, transformative change in our hearts. And so what do we do when those thoughts come into our mind, when those things are exposed in our hearts? Now, where do we go? And following that Wednesday morning, as I reflected on this, as I prayed about it my mind went to some verses from psalm 40 uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this evening psalm 40 and so as you get your bibles ready as you open it up to psalm 40 uh, let's pray father we need you to work in our lives and we need you to open our eyes. We need you to, to bring about your transformative work of the gospel. Lord, give us eyes to see as we look at, at this passage together. Or may we see the greatness of Christ. And may we be captivated by Christ. May we be changed to be more like him. Amen. Psalm 40. For the director of music... Of David, a psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. 
He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, the hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they will be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. Do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your salvation, saving help, always say the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Well, this uh, psalm, it's a psalm of David. That's how it's titled. A psalm of the king. And yet it's also a psalm for us. See, verse three here, it speaks of these new and fresh songs. These new, or could be translated fresh, fresh songs that result from God's salvation. And this new song is not necessarily a new composition. There could be an ancient song. And yet that ancient song becomes new. It's newly applied to us. Now, as we are brought into the story of God's salvation, that is true for us, isn't it? We may not be a king like David. But in Christ, the kingly role of humanity has been restored. As we were considering last week in Proverbs. See, we are brought into this story that this psalm of David, it becomes our psalm. It becomes your psalm. And so as we go through this psalm, three things that are going to help uh, orientate us as we work through it, three headings. Are we going to consider uh, seeing salvation's past, hear salvation's purpose and seek salvation's power? To see salvation's past. Uh, have a look with me at verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. Now, this is a picture of being rescued from the place of death. This slimy pit could also be translated as 
the roaring pits. And the other day I was uh, walking back from St. Neots uh, and I was meditating on this psalm as I walked across the footbridge, that footbridge that goes over by the weir. As you go over that weir, you, you're, you have that almost deafening sound of the water cascading down, this crashing, this thrashing of the water beneath your feet. It's like chaos water. As you look down, you see this foam going everywhere. And we have this image here in this psalm of this pit of chaos water and sinking into the mud and, and sinking into the mire. Now think back to, to Genesis. Now, at the beginning, when, when God creates the heavens and the earth and he causes the dry land to appear out of the chaos water and then he forms humanity. He forms us from the dust, the dirt of the ground. And yet this pit that is described here at the beginning of the psalm, it's an undoing of all of that. It's a sinking back into the mud. The chaos waters are roaring. It's as though there's this undoing of this creative work, this image of death. Of the destruction of our God-given humanity. Sinking back into the mud. Sinking into the chaos waters. The undoing of our humanity. And that was our life aside from Christ. And yet the Lord delivered us. Christ came down. He came down into that pit. Into the roaring slimy pit. Into the mud into the mire, into the chaos, into that place of destruction. And he lifts us out of the mud and the mire. And he sets our feet on a rock. And as our passage goes on to say, blessed is the one then who trusts in the Lord. Who does not look to the proud or turn aside to false gods. I'm aware a bleep is going off. Uh, this is an, just a reminder for the LFT. And uh, Tanya's upstairs, so she's not going to hear it. I'm going to have to turn it off. I will be back in a second, otherwise it's going to annoy us. Hey, one of the perks of working in a school... Uh, doing lateral flow tests twice weekly okay uh, we're back on where were we this blessing blessed is the one who trusts in the lord who does not look to the proud to those who turn aside to false gods uh, and the term proud here is also a term uh, that was used to describe these ancient sea monsters in canaanite mythology and so deliverance, it doesn't come by looking to those who seem to thrive in the chaos waters. And these sea monsters, the proud, those who seem to thrive in this place of chaos. And deliverance life is not found in the empty promises of prosperity and security. Now, these false gods or lies, these things that, that promise much and yet deliver little, true deliverance comes from the Lord. And that's our testimony. That's our testimony in Christ. He is the one who has saved us. He's the one who's rescued us. And so blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord because deliverance comes from the Lord. And the psalm here now turns from this declaration to this direct prayer to the Lord in verse 5. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. 
And is that something that we grasp? Do we grasp the greatness of God? Do we grasp you know, his great wonders? Do we grasp his wonderful plan? When we feel that God's ways are burdensome rather than life-giving, you know, we've missed something. When we're looking for that legitimate excuse, we've missed something. No one compares to the Lord. His great wonders, the great things he has planned. And our greatest plans, our greatest imaginings just cannot compare to what it is that the Lord has in store, what he has purposed for his people. And yet, as we were considering this morning, it can be so easy for us to just want to hold on to our lesser imaginings. Something that seems within our grasp. And yet we have great and we have glorious promises that are revealed, that are disclosed in Christ. And it is in Christ in whom we have been raised up. We've been rescued from the pit of destruction. Our feet have been set on a rock. And like David, we've been given this kingly calling. And the second thing we're going to consider from the psalm is salvation's purpose. The Lord had delivered David from death and destruction. We don't know the original story behind the composition of the psalm. Perhaps David's experience of death was of his years as this exile, as this fugitive, as he was fleeing for his life. And then the throne is established. God has made David king, but for what purpose? See, the Lord has rescued, he saved us from death. He has made us a kingdom of priests. But for what purpose? What's it look like to serve God? Verse six, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. But my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will. My God, your law is within my heart. Now, it's not that sacrifice and offerings were a bad thing. They were prescribed by Torah and God's instruction to his people. But they weren't the end's goal. They weren't the ultimate purpose. David speaks of his ear being open to, to hear God's purpose. This revelation, what, what's written in the scroll. And what scroll then is being referred to here? Well, perhaps, you know, this refers to the book of Deuteronomy. There's a portion in Deuteronomy which describes the king's conduct, how a king should live. And one of the things that the king was supposed to do was to write a copy of the scroll of Deuteronomy, that they were to meditate on it all their life, that they may follow the Lord's ways. But I think this may also refer back to Genesis 1.28. As we, we take this scroll as scripture as a whole now there god's original command to humanity this kingly commission to rule and to reign as image bearers of god to make his glory known which is something that we see happening later in the psalm i'm going to proclaim your glory proclaim your name to your people 
is to rule and reign as God's image bearers to make his glory known. That's the purpose of salvation. That's the thing that we've been saved for. And the kings of Israel, they were meant to be now this picture really of what Adam was supposed to be. And yet the reality is found in Christ. And so the book of Hebrews uses this passage, it quotes this passage to speak about Jesus and saying, you know, the end goal, that was never sacrifice and offerings. The end goal, Hebrews shows us, is God's people, a holy people, these image bearers. And Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, he offers himself as the sacrifice in order to achieve that ultimate purpose. In order that our hearts are changed and transformed, that we desire to do God's will, that that law is written within our hearts. And the goal is Christ. The goal is is Jesus, the, the perfect son of the father, the perfect image of God. That's salvation purpose, Christ likeness. And it may well be an obvious truth to us, something that we talk about many times, but it is important that we we talk about it, that we remind ourselves of the truth of of what the goal is and where we're heading, because we so easily get get sidetracked. We go after lesser things, even in the desire of what seems to be a good thing. We're... um, we're studying a, a book together as a staff team at uh, SNEC and Christchurch Campbell. It's a book on leadership and there, there are some helpful things in the book. But there's also a danger. And the danger doesn't come from the book itself. The, the danger comes from the response of our own hearts. Now, I'm thankful for books like that for articles, for sermons you know, that speak about you know, what's it mean to, to live in a godly manner? What are these marks of true godliness? But the danger is you know, within our hearts that we, we make those marks the goal. That's the thing that we pursue rather than Christ. And so what we end up doing when the marks become the goal is that we just simply modify our behavior rather than mortify the flesh. And we become Christian culturally conditioned rather than conformed to Christ. Uh, And when those marks become the focus rather than Christ, then we feel good when we do those things. We feel bad when we don't do those things. Uh, And we feel thankful and we feel relieved when we have a legitimate excuse not to do those things. But that's not the goal. That's that's not the purpose. God's purpose is this deep transformation, this ongoing deep transformation in our hearts that we desire to do his will. And that's why we need to be reminded what the goal is, that the goal is Christ's likeness. It's what I needed to be reminded of following that Wednesday morning. What is the goal? Is attending a prayer meeting a good thing to do? Yes. But if my response was simply, you know what, well, 
next week I'll be attending the prayer meeting anyway. I'll just make sure that I attend every meeting diligently thereafter. It's a good thing to do, but that just doesn't go deep enough. Doesn't deal with a real issue. I've missed something. We miss something if our goal just becomes this outward conformity rather than this deep transformation, this gospel transformation. So how do we fight the battle? If we can't be content with staying where we are, if we recognize that we we need to move forwards, now how do we move forwards? Well, we seek salvation's power. The final thing we're going to consider uh, this evening. Uh, Some of you may have read uh, a blog post that Lizzie shared, very helpful blog post. I'm just going to piggyback on some of the imagery that she used uh, in there. And one of her, I'm assuming it's one of her favourite films. She can correct me tomorrow. But but Prince Caspian. Uh, and in the film, uh, Prince Caspian, uh, well, actually, it's it's Peter. He, he plans this, what ultimately ends up as this failed attack on the uh, Telmarine's castle. Uh, and Lizzie made mention of this in an article, but just prior to the scene uh, that Lizzie was referring to, Peter's at Aslan's house and he's planning this ultimately futile battle plan. And two options are presented. They say, yeah, either we we stay where we are or we go on and we make that attack. And Lucy turns to Peter and says that there is a third way. Or have you forgotten, Peter? Now, who it really was who defeated the White Witch. And then Peter turns to Lucy as she's sitting there and she's sitting on the cracked stone table. You know, the very thing that is a symbol is a reminder of Aslan's victory. And he says to her, I think we've waited for Aslan long enough. He grabs his sword and walks off. And like Narnia's Peter, you know, we have been called to a kingly role, but how are we going to wage that ongoing warfare? In the film, there are two options that are presented. Either we resign ourselves to our current situation, make excuses, or we strategize this plan of attack. We fight with our own might. And yet Lucy, and more importantly, Psalm 40, presents us with a different way. We can say it begins with remembering who really won the victory. And that's what we've seen as we go through this psalm of verses 1 to 4. It is the Lord who delivers. And the conclusion of this psalm is that the Lord is great. But as for me, verse 17 I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Now, deliverance did not come and it cannot come from ourselves. We are poor and we are needy. And that is something that never changes in the Christian life. The Lord did not lift us up out of that roaring 
pit of death and set our feet on the rock so that we just maintain our standing now by our own strength. And salvation in Christ is not simply about a new life. It's about a new way of living. The gospel is not just how we begin. And we've said it before, it's how we continue. And we need this constant reminder. It's not just how we begin, it's how we continue. No, the goal is Christ. And Christ opens the way and Christ makes possible the way from beginning to end and all the way through. It's all about Jesus. Because there are many battles that we are going to face in this life. This this psalm speaks of some of them. Now, the evils that come at us, the evils that come from us. So verse 14, now we read of enemies that desire our ruin. Verse 12, troubles that surround hardships in life. And sins that overtake us. And we are poor. And we are needy. And as we come before God in prayer like the psalmist here, confessing our poverty and neediness. Now, in my case, Father, I, I confess, you know, I find it easier at times to look for excuses rather than to seek that gospel transformation. There's a doubt in my life, doubting your goodness, doubting your power. I need you. I am poor and I am needy. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Now I'm poor. I'm needy. We are poor. We are needy, but the Lord is great and as we pray to him as we cry out to him in those times as we recognize our need for ongoing deliverance now let's pray in accordance with his greatness verse 11 his mercy is great and his faithful covenant love is is never failing the lord does not despise us in our weakness and in our sin Because of the abundance of his mercy, his heart goes out to us. Because he is faithful to do all that he has promised, he he will not leave us in that place. And so those who seek the Lord, as we read, will rejoice and will be glad in him because the Lord hears. The Lord lifts up, the Lord sets our feet on the rock. Because that mercy and grace of God in Christ that saved us from the pit of destruction is the same mercy and grace in Christ that continues to work to bring about transformative change, a new life in Christ, a new way of living. See, Psalm 40 reorients us, reminds us where we come from, shows us where we're heading And it teaches how we get there. That the one who delivered is the one who delivers. We're giving something 
We give them something better than legitimate excuses. Now we are given God's grace in Christ. His transformative grace. So in those moments, in those instances, what are you going to seek? What are you going to look for? What are you going to delight yourselves in? Looking for a legitimate excuse? For the grace of God in Christ to bring about change and transformation. Let's pray. Or may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Well, thank you uh, for joining uh, Live at Five uh, this evening. If you want uh, a song to reflect on some of the themes that we've been considering uh, this evening, I've included one in the description below. All I have is Christ. It's a great song, a great prayer to pray. Uh, when we ran this hellbound race, uh, the grace of God reached out for us and now all we have is Christ the strength to follow his commands it cannot come from us but we have Christ let's meditate and rejoice in the sufficiency of Christ let's continue to do that throughout the week and God willing I'll see you again next Sunday